It surely is a blessing, isn't it, to be able to assemble, to come together in the way we are tonight. As always, we're so thankful that God has been this good to us. There are many who are ill and sick and really are battling a number of things in life, and they quite frankly love to be able to be with us, but the circumstances just don't permit that at the moment. But aren't you and I grateful? And tonight, our lesson perhaps had an unusual title. As you can see on the wall behind me, not only giving thought to the devil, to Satan himself, but divine characteristics. Now, I somewhat struggled as to how to title that best, and maybe I didn't do such a good job of it. But what I'd like to ask tonight is perhaps what's going to be on this next slide. As you and I think about the devil, this enemy of ours, we know very, very well that the Bible speaks of him in some dramatic ways. In 1 Peter 5, verse 8, isn't it there said of him that, Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And thus this enemy of ours, this powerful being, is there described as a roaring lion. He's described as powerful. He's described as, quite frankly, capable of much. But you might well begin to ask these questions. How much power does he really have? Does he have any of the attributes that God has? Let me ask it like this. You and I, for instance, well appreciate that, for instance, God can be everywhere at the same time. Can Satan do that? Can he tempt me here and perhaps someone else identically at the same time in another location? Well, other questions. As you think about his degree of knowledge, we, of course, attribute to God great unlimited knowledge. Does Satan have unlimited knowledge? Those are just a few of the things I would invite us to consider tonight. May I close that slide by saying it like this. You and I would do well to appreciate our enemy as much as we are able to do it. Isn't it true that in the sports world... A team that's well prepared with a coach who has studied the opposition, knows their tendencies, is likely to be successful. Well, by the same token, as you and I use the Word of God as our guide, appreciating what Satan can do and what he cannot do, then you and I will be well apprised to be a more powerful foe for him. Tonight, why don't we study then about this being that we call the devil and do so with at least a part of our consideration touching this subject of does he possess divine characteristics in any measure. Let's begin by at least speaking a few moments about where the devil come, came from. Now this really enters into our discussion and for reasons we shall see in just a moment. Wouldn't it be fair to say this? As you and I open the Word of God, we learn in a number of places that in fact the God of heaven perfectly and powerfully created this universe. And He did so with perfect goodness. He did not create evil in it. In Genesis 1 verse 31, after the six days of creation, it there says that God looked at all the things He had made, and behold, it was very good. Now that not only included the events of day 1 and day 2 and day 3, it included the events of days 4, 5, and 6, and not only that, it highlighted every attribute and every facet of that creation. It was good. 
as you keep that thought in mind, I've asked you to consider rather powerfully, among those created beings were angels. In Psalm 148, we're going to look at the first five verses of that chapter somewhat briefly, I admit. But in the 148th Psalm, the psalmist had these words to say. As he praises and lauds the greatness of God's creation, fascinatingly, he includes angels, and this is what it has to say. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise ye Him, all His angels. Praise ye Him, all His hosts. Praise ye Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all ye stars of light. Praise Him, ye heavens of heavens, and ye waters that be above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded, and they were created. May I invite you to notice that among that list of things, it mentions the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the waters, and it also mentions angels, and in description of all of them, it says they were created. Please take note, the angels were created as well. It's not as if they were somehow eternal with God. They weren't. They were made. They were fashioned. As you give thought, though, to those angels, would you be impressed with me that they were created with the capability of decision-making powers? They could choose. They could decide in light of the circumstances presented to them. You and I can note that on this slide. In Colossians 1, verses 16 and following, again, whether it be things visible or invisible, whether it be principalities or thrones or dominions or powers, everything was created by God the Son. As you keep that in mind, again, noting that it includes the angels, isn't it fascinating to appreciate that some of the angels chose to rebel? They were created, they were fashioned with the capability of making their own choice in light of the evidence presented to them, and some of them chose to rebel against God. In 2 Peter 2 verse 4, one of the clearest statements of that we have in the Word of God, it says, "...for God spared not the angels that sinned." Now, since sin is a transgression of the law of God, some angels, believe it or not, chose to rebel. They chose to not remain in their initially created estate. I have asked you to notice in that light, Jude verse number 6. In that little one-chapter book of Jude, the author on that occasion points out that some of these created beings, these angels, chose not to remain in the estate in which they were created. They lusted for power that they did not have. They weren't happy with the station that they were given. No wonder in that light, God cast down those angels, the text says, and they are bound in everlasting chains awaiting the day of judgment. Those angels thus have been decreed, determined, eternally lost. No plan of salvation was extended to them. Couldn't you and I say this? Aren't you thankful that you and I are not in that same category? When you and I sin, when we fail... Thanks be unto God, there's a plan of salvation still available to you and me. Even as a wayward child of God, we can rush back to the Master, confess those errors, and be forgiven. Hebrews 2 verses 15 and 16 say angels have no plan of salvation. That's an interesting thing. 
As you and I continue that slide of development, though, notice here, angels that chose to sin. At this point, we are noting the following point. Inasmuch as some of those angels chose to sin, it would appear that the devil was the ringleader of that group. It would appear that Satan was the one who was, in essence, leading, motivating that rebellion. At this point, you and I can then appreciate. Let's already note this. If the devil indeed was an angel who chose to to leave his first estate, then inasmuch as God created him initially, that means that God still is more powerful than he. Nowhere in all the Word of God, nowhere in all 66 books, is there ever a presentation that even suggests, hints, that the devil is equally powerful with God. God is always more powerful. He is always set forth as the greater of the two, and there's not even any competition, really. As we develop that point more thoroughly tonight, then let's see some of the specific ways that that is played out in the Word of God. No wonder we perhaps are ready to close that slide with two final points. It's always the case that the thing that does the creating is more powerful than what's created. That's always true, isn't it? In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 5, the one that builds the house is greater than the house. So it is. The devil, of course, as an angel who is a created being and God created him, God's more powerful and God is greater. That truth is echoed so many times in the Word of God. Let's close that slide then with this text in Mark 3, verse 22 and following. There was more than one occasion when Jesus was called upon and He made statements along this line. He portrayed the devil, sure enough, Beelzebub. There were those of His day who claimed that Jesus cast out unclean spirits by the power of Beelzebub. Jesus, of course, reasoned with them and said, Look, If I'm casting out the devil by the power of the devil, then I'm fighting with myself. The devil is fighting with himself. What sense does that make? Jesus said, I tell you what, a stronger than the strong man is here. He called the devil the strong man, but said, look, one greater, more powerful, more mighty than the strong man, referring to himself, is now here. Jesus said, the strong man is great to be be noted, but I'm greater still. If you and I will keep that in mind, take note of the fact then that if you and I will utilize the power of the Master, we shall always be successful in defeating the devil. To the next part of the lesson, though, I raised some questions early in our lesson tonight. The topic of omnipresence. As you and I begin that slide, isn't it fair to say, God is omnipresent? That's a big word, I admit, but the meaning is simple. The prefix omni, O-M-N-I, means greatly exceeding. It means everywhere, if you please. And so to attach it to the word presence means everywhere present or present everywhere. I've tried to define it like this. To say that God is omnipresent is to say He is in all places at all times. That's a remarkable thought, I admit. It's difficult for you and me in our mortal mind to wrap our consideration about the fullness of that meaning. And yet the Bible testifies to it so many times. 
I would call to your attention the 139th Psalm. I'd like to read the first 12 verses of that chapter. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 12. Listen to what the psalmist had to say about the omnipresence of God. That text, in a majestic way, describes God like this. O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, Thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid Thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me. And thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Among other things, we notice the psalmist highlighting this fact. No matter where one may go, anywhere on earth, or even beyond the realms of earth, Thou art there. Would you be impressed with me that our God is truly omnipresent? Nowhere on earth can one hide from God. In fact, nowhere even outside the realm of earth, beyond this universe, you still wouldn't be able to hide from God. He is everywhere at the same time. That kind of existence is certainly beyond the bounds of modern-day physics, isn't it? We are appreciative and understanding of the fact that mankind is limited. He can only be at one place at one time. The God you and I serve is far greater than that. On that slide, you may also note, I call to your attention verses 2 and 7 and 8, among others, wherein it was highlighted the omnipresence of our great God in heaven. To all of that, let's add some more things. In Proverbs 15, verse number 3, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Did you notice? Every place. God's there watching, beholding. It's as if nothing is concealed from Him. In Jeremiah 32, verse number 17 and following, could I ask you to notice particularly verse number 19? In that passage, the great prophet Jeremiah, as he exclaimed the marvelous majesty of the God of heaven and some of his characteristics, this is what he said in verse 19. Great in counsel and mighty in work, for thine eyes are open upon all the ways of the sons of men to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Jeremiah even asserted, Everything about the sons of men, God's already aware of it. He's omnipresent. As we journey forward on that slide, let's in fact ask this point, and let's make a contrast. The devil is not omnipresent. 
Let's make a great division between what we have just noted concerning God and now what the Bible says concerning the devil. The lesson text that was read in our hearing earlier tonight, in Matthew chapter 4, for example, could I call to your attention two of the verses of that chapter? This was the scene concerning the temptation of our Master. And in Matthew chapter 4, this interesting statement is made. Verse number 3. Now the Lord had fasted for forty days and nights, and then verse number 3 says, The tempter came to him. Was the devil there before? Apparently not. Look at verse 11. After the temptations were completed, the text then says, Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. Question, if the devil left him, was the devil still there? Apparently not. In other words, we have here at least a statement reminding us, and I realize we looked at that passage in a bit of detail last Sunday night, that's why I thought in the study it might be natural to include this study now. It would appear that the devil came and then he left. He is not omnipresent the same way that God is. But could I say that in addition to that, what about the book of Job? In Job chapter 1 verse 6 as well as Job chapter 2, we have another reminder there that notice that when the sons of God came, it says the devil was among them. Was he there before? Surely not. The devil, it seems, had a clear time of entrance and a clear time of exodus. That's not like God. God is everywhere at the same place and time. That isn't true of the devil. He can't do that. He is not omnipresent the same way that God is. Let's continue forward on the slide. I would urge all of us to keep this in mind. Isn't it true that we are promised this truth in James 4 verse 7? Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Question, if the Bible says he'll flee from me, that, does that mean he's still there? Surely not. That's the whole point of the word flee. He in fact retreats from us when we resist him appropriately. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. May I suggest each of us as Christians be thankful for a passage like that one and remind ourselves often about the fact that we can send the devil packing if we will appropriately resist him. And that means he's no longer there at least for the present time and being. One last thing on that slide. There may be other verses that offer a bit of challenge concerning this point. Isn't it said in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 3 that he, namely the devil, is the God of this world? Notice that's a little g though. It's not capital G. It's not the attributes of the divinity in heaven. Furthermore, isn't it said in Ephesians 2 2, he's the prince of the power of the air? Certainly it is. But what those verses highlight is this. Satan does have influence. And there are lots of people that are servants to Him. And therefore, even though He may physically not be in presence, others who are His evil angels and those human beings that choose to follow Him, they can certainly exert evil influence. But aren't you thankful the devil is not omnipresent? What about other attributes of divinity? What about things besides omnipresence? May I ask about this one? Omnipotence. Now, you and I know that God is omnipotent. 
And again, the prefix omni means great or surpassing in nature. Potent means power. Our God is all-powerful. The God of heaven is truly almighty and all-powerful. Let's look at some of these verses. In Matthew 28, verse number 18, The Son of God Himself speaking said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now with those thoughts in mind, could I invite you to consider two verses earlier in Jeremiah 32, this time verse 17. In the midst of that discussion, the prophet Jeremiah said it like this. Verse 17, Jeremiah 32, Ah, Lord God, behold... Thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. I'm thankful, aren't you, to be a worshiper of one whose power knows no bounds. This great universe is a testimony to his power. Day after day he brought it into creation and he spoke it into being and he invested it with the characteristics that in His infinite wisdom He knew would be proper and correct. Our God is, sure enough, omnipotent. Look at several other verses, though, for those aren't nearly the only ones. Didn't Jesus say it like this in Matthew 19, 26? Nothing is too powerful for thee. Now, speaking about God in that way, and highlighting that His power, His greatness, His awesomeness, if you please, Knows no bound, no limit. To that could we add Isaiah 26, 4. In the days of old, the great prophet Isaiah powerfully asserting that with regard to God, there is nothing outside the realm of possibility with Him. One final passage. The one in Revelation 19, 6. As you and I come near the close of the Word of God, His greatness there, notice what word is used to describing Lord God omnipotent reigneth. He is called omnipotent. As you and I then peruse from Genesis all the way to Revelation, we are reminded time and again that our God is omnipotent. Now, I suppose in light of that, the time comes. What about the devil? Is he omnipotent? Is he, like God, all-powerful? Well, certainly, you and I can immediately appreciate that if He were, it couldn't be the case both of them are omnipotent. One, again, would need to be more powerful than the other, or else they'd be co-gods. Much to the distinction of that, the Bible makes this statement. You recall the nature of the book of Job, and what better example than this? You might recall that Job, of course, was a faithful servant to God, and yet tragedy struck his life in chapter 1. And all of that comes about because of this interesting discussion that took place. The devil, of course, answered God's statement. God said, Behold my servant Job, there's none like him in all the earth. And the devil said, well, you know why he serves you, because you've given him so much. It was then that God said, okay, you can touch his life, but you can't kill him. Notice how that God placed bounds around what was capable in light of the activities of this being. He was not permitted to do anything beyond that which God dictated. As you and I reflect upon that one, 
could I ask that we even notice the temptations? Which of the two was more powerful, the devil or Jesus? Three times the devil took his best shot at the master, tempting him with stones to turn them to bread, tempting him with showing him all the kingdoms of the world at a moment of time, tempting him with throw yourself off the temple's pinnacle. If you're the Son of God, you in fact will not be harmed. And yet we notice that Jesus was more powerful, or maybe we should say His utility of the Word of God. Not only is the devil not omnipotent, we notice that God is more powerful than He. That would mean that both the Son and the Holy Spirit are more powerful than He. And you'll notice that Jesus used the Word of God and highlighted here it is written. And so even the Word of God is more powerful than He. No wonder you and I have been given at our disposal that which is far greater and far more powerful than the devil and anything that he can do. Sure enough, as you close that slide, consider with me Revelation 20, verse number 10. As we come near the close of the Word of God, we have a picture again of that final and great matter in which the dragon, and we're told who the dragon was, it is the devil, he is cast into an everlasting lake burning with fire and brimstone. If he's more powerful than God, that would never happen. We know he's not omnipotent. God has complete control over what he can do, and his final judgment is already decreed. There's a place called Gehenna. It's hell. It is the place prepared for the devil and his angels, Matthew 25, 41. So we have dispelled two. The devil is not omnipotent, and he's also not omnipresent. What about a third consideration? This time, what about his omniscience? That's another rather big word, I admit, but the meaning is simple. O-M-N-I, again, identifies a surpassing greatness, a fantastic amount of sense, probably reminds you of science. It means knowledge. It comes from the Greek word that means knowledge. And so to put the two together, omniscience is all knowledge. Our God is omniscient. Look at this initial verse. In Psalm 147, verse number 5, He is understanding, referring to God, is infinite. Aren't you amazed as you give thought to the thing of infinity? You know, infinity, as you and I give thought to what it identifies, those who work in, math, in, in mathematics and sometimes in other arenas, well, we're aware that they use this word infinity and often somewhat throw the word around with a degree of looseness. But we know infinity is an unbounded amount of something. Our God's knowledge is infinite. His understanding is described that way. Paul stated it like this in Romans chapter 11. The last paragraph of that chapter sets before us a beautiful anthem as it relates to the, to, to the knowledge of God. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been His counselor? Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, and through him, and to him 
are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Verse number 33 had stated it like this, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. You see, God's knowledge is infinite. He is omniscient. Did you notice a moment ago in our reading of Psalm 139, some of the things that we should never forget that God knows are things like this. He knows your thoughts. Isn't that what the psalmist said? Thou art acquainted with all my ways, with my down-sitting, my uprising. God knows what you're going to do before you do it. That's an amazing degree of knowledge, isn't it? He knows what the intents of your heart and mind are. He knows the characteristic and the motivation of your heart and mind. He knows it all. It is in that light I would offer you this consideration. Several powerful descriptions, not the least of which, Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10. Through the prophet Isaiah, God said, I am God and there is none else. I am God, there is none like me. What do you mean, God? I know the beginning from the end. In other words, before something ever commences, God knows how it's going to end up. I know that you and I often give thought to that, and we make our best judgments of how something is going to turn out, but we can often make a wrong decision because we don't know all the factors that enter into it. That's never a problem for God. In fact, it is in that light. I would ask that we keep in mind what a tremendous statement that is about God's judgments. Many times individuals throughout the ages have called into question something in the Word of God. Perhaps the most famous being that scene in Numbers 15. The man gathering sticks on the Sabbath and God said, put him to death. Many have alleged that's unfair. How could God put a man to death simply for picking up sticks on Saturday? You and I, though, don't know what might have happened had that man been allowed to live. If that error had been allowed to remain, and God had already told what the punishment for that would be, read Exodus 31, verses 15 and following. If he had overlooked at that time, that kind of rebellion might have been, in fact, greatly occurring in Israel. There might not have been a single faithful person alive to bring Jesus into the world. You and I don't know how that would have turned out, but God did. And He made the verdict, He made the decision consistent with His will that brought that to bear in the correct and perfect fashion. Isn't it true in light of this degree of omniscience, God always does what's right. May we never question Him. May we never doubt Him. He always does what's right. No wonder in that light. Now let's appreciate the devil. We've highlighted God's omniscience. Would you be impressed? The devil, and that includes angels, are not omniscient. They do not have that same degree of knowledge that God does. Look at some of these examples. In 2 Peter 2 verse 4, remember angels sinned. If they had known how that rebellion would have turned out, do you think they would have done it? It would appear that they lifted themselves up in pride, 1 Timothy 3, verse 7. Had they known, they would ultimately have lost, and they'd have been forever consigned to a place called hell. Do you suppose they would have done it? Surely not. 
they must have been under the illusion that they might be victorious and that they might have at least a degree of opportunity to defeat God, but that wasn't to be. In addition to that text in 2 Timothy 2, you'll notice at the bottom of that slide several additional thoughts that seemingly are easy to make about the omniscience of God in distinction to the fact the devil is not that way. Look at this example. Satan's role in temptation, the characteristic associated with it. Again, would you be reminded that there's no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. And furthermore, there's always a way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Think about that in light of this. If Satan truly knew all things, then he would have at his disposal some particular degree of knowledge that you and I might not be able to overcome. And yet God's already promised that'll never be true. Satan is not omniscient. He is not one who has the same degree of knowledge as God. Could we add another to that? As influential as he is, he is not all-knowing. Again, had he known it, what does the book of Jude tell us about the great difficulty of verse number 9? Go ahead and read that verse, or at least look at it with me. Jude, verse number 9. The writer at that location points this out. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. Did you notice there was a discussion, a contention at some point between Michael and the devil concerning the body of Moses? Now, the Bible doesn't tell us all about that that we might wish we knew. But the fact is, there was some disagreement. There was something about the nature of what the devil was asking for and that which he was longing for, and Michael was opposing him. Notice that there was some consideration in what the devil was asking that would fall into the discussion of what we're considering now. He wasn't omniscient. One final thing on that slide. I hope that as you and I noticed that verse that we observed a moment ago, that text in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation taken you and me, but such as is common to man. I hope as you and I give thought to the devil, he is not an undefeatable foe. As influential as he appears to be, and no doubt many in our world choose to follow him, and he has so very many already in his clutches, May I say that clearly those highest on His list are folks like you and me. Now the ones He doesn't currently have are the ones He's walking about seeking whom He may devour. Let's face it, He's already got most of the world. They are already His servants and His followers. But He doesn't have you and me yet. Make sure you and I never forget, He's going to bring temptations before you and me. He has to give us extra attention. He doesn't have to worry so much about the world. But He does have to be concerned with you and me. He wants to get us as well. But may we never forget, He is not omnipotent, He is not omniscient, and He is not omnipresent. 
And if we will remain faithful to the Word of God, He cannot defeat that. He cannot overcome it. And just like Jesus, when He said, It is written, He sent the devil packing. And sure enough, when you and I resist the devil, using the Word of God, He too shall flee from us. And He'll no longer be there where we are. That's an exciting thought. In fact, it's an encouraging thought. And isn't it one that it charges us each day? We can be successful in our service to Jesus. He assured us we can. Certainly that leaves to you and me, though, a fair amount of consideration. Am I making effort to resist the devil? Make no mistake about it. If we don't resist him, he is going to have his way with us. Let's close our lesson in like this. I hope we've been reminded tonight that the devil does not possess the characteristics of deity. He doesn't. He is not omnipresent, he's not omnipotent, and he's not omniscient. Now, he may have a great deal of knowledge, and he may have a fair amount of influence and power, but he's not the same as God. Aren't you thankful to be a Christian? You can, in fact, make association to the greatest of all powers, and you and I can live faithfully, and we can live above the nature of falling to the devil as long as we may remain true to the Word of God. As we each analyze ourselves this evening, are you and I resisting the devil? Are we striving each day to increase in our knowledge of the Word of God and our application of it? Jesus said, "Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John 8, verse 32. As we strive to use that in ways like Psalm 119, verse number 11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Perhaps it brings our lesson to a close with that interesting scene of Zechariah chapter 3. There we remember that the devil was presented as one opposing the truth of God. He was actually standing in opposition to it. I realize you and I with our physical eye can't see the devil like some horned creature wearing red with a pitchfork. We are in fact rather ill-equipped if we think the devil is only some being like that. The devil is wise in many ways. He has his devices. He makes his efforts to get into your life and mine. He stands opposed to the truth of God. He does not want us pursuing that truth. And he will try his best to find a weakness, to find some particular element in which he can in fact explode into a greatness of moving apart from God in your life and mine. May we never forget, He isn't as powerful as God, nor does He know as much as God, nor can He be everywhere like God. The devil can only do what we allow him to. You may have heard me use this analogy before. I think it's appropriate. When Jesus said that a stronger than a strong man is here, the devil is much like a mad dog chained up. He has power within the length of the chain. But it doesn't matter what you do, as long as you stand further away than the chain's length is, he can't get you. In many ways, the devil's like that. He isn't all-powerful. If you and I, using the Word of God, will remain at proper distance, using the power of Jesus and the God of heaven at our disposal, 
there's nothing He can do to us. Absolutely nothing. If we, however, in weakness are foolish enough to come inside the chain's length, where He can get to us, then whose fault is it? It's ours. We're the ones who chose to come to that location. And if we choose to remain there, not resisting the devil, we'll probably be rather easy pickings for him. Tonight, if we each examine ourselves, may we in strength, and may we strive to always resist him with propriety. If there's anyone in the audience, and perhaps you'd wish to make a public request for prayers of strength, or make a confession of error with a desire for rededication, we'd be delighted to assist you tonight, to encourage you in what way we can. We do, each of us, want to make our ultimate journey to heaven. If we can be of help to you tonight, we'd love to do that at once while together we stand and while we sing.